Chris, what a book. My God, I, I, I'm so grateful that, that you stepped into an area of music that time can't forget about. I played this stuff on the radio. I played it on dance floors. And for you to, to really bring this forward is an introduction to these newer generations. They need to experience this. <laughs> yeah, so you know, you know, um, you know how big this stuff was. And yeah. yeah, I grew up in New Jersey where this stuff was just so popping. I went to high school between 02 and 2006 to give listeners a sense of where I'm coming from. So, you know, Dashboard, Jimmy World popping off my freshman year with their hits. 06, you know, the year that My Chemical Romance released the Black oh, Parade. Yeah. And for me, working on this book, being such a like obsessive super fan, reading so many interviews in like Spin Magazine or Alternative Press over the years, it really meant a lot of me to ask these band members stuff that they hadn't asked before, you know, stuff that wasn't on, you know, the My Chemical Romance Wikipedia page. So I feel really excited about the book in that if you were a fan, anyone out there, if they were a fan of these bands, I'm pretty confident in saying there's stories in this book about them that you haven't heard before. When we speak of emo, do, do, did the fan create the definition or was it the bands that designed the definition? Because it became such a way of life. No, the bands hated being called it back then. <laughs> it definitely, it's, you know, it first, you know, came from like record reviews and zines, mm-hmm. you know, written by punks back in the eighties. And, I'd say it probably wasn't until, uh, you know, the 2010s that any bands really uh, warmed to being called emo. But it's pretty funny, like talking to like Pete Wentz for the book, (laughs) there's a great line where he's just like, yeah, people will come up to me now and be like, oh, Pete, you're such an emo legend. And he's like, I'll kind of cower and be like, are you actually hating on me? Because like those bands had so much like scarring from like the aughts of people using the term emo as a slur. But now it's just sort of like, it's a compliment. It's just, it's, you know, it's when you're talking to these guys, it's like, yeah, emo. And, you know, bands like Fall Out Boy, My Chemical Romance, The Used, all these bands. I'm so proud of Fall Out Boy, and the reason why is because they've designed their own sound. I mean, even their new song, the second that I heard it, man, I was like, oh my God, they're back. I mean, I felt like a dang kid again with when because they, they just have this sound about them that is going to make your heart race. Yeah, Love From The Other Side. When I heard that song, I was like, yeah. Yes, this is what I wanted to hear from you guys. Um, yeah, the book is named after them, named after their song, uh, Grand Theft Autumn, Where Is Your Boy? That's where the song, the book title is from, for those who are wondering. And yeah, I'm going out to see them on tour this summer. I'm really excited. Shout out to Pete Wentz. Uh, actually, funny story. So uh, the way a lot of this started, the book, was so uh, March of 2020, I had been working at Billboard for a long time. I was a writer there at Billboard magazine. Me and a bunch of other people got laid off, unfortunately, in the pandemic. And the day after, I got this email from Pete Wentz. And at first, I didn't believe it. Yeah. Uh, but it was really Pete. He was just offering some, you know, some words of encouragement. Because I had interviewed him a bunch of times during my years at Billboard. And uh, long story short, that emailed conversation turned into my first ask for an interview for the book. And over the years, a couple years of the book, Pete was kind enough to give me a lot of his time. We chatted four separate times for the book. And it's funny how just like that email turned into this project. So yeah, shout out to Pete. He really did me a real with this and he really opened up in the book. 
in this book, you're, you're talking to three different generations. You've got those that grew up with the music and made, a, made it a part of their life. You're talking to a present listener, but I swear in 10 to 15 to 20 years, you're also going to be talking to them because people are going to be looking back going, what were they listening to? And they're going to come across your book. I hope so. I mean, I think, I think with most people who write a book like this, you obviously want it to make an impact in the present, but you want people to be picking it up when they get into that genre, you know, 10 years from now, you know, if a kid who's only like, you know, only a little kid now who's like 15, 10 years from now is just like getting into an emo phase, you know, you want your book to be the one that they pick up, you know, a book like Please Kill Me, which is an oral history of 70s punk about like the Ramones and Patti Smith. That's my favorite of all the rock oral histories. And that was a massive inspiration for me in putting this book together. And there's so many great rock oral histories. And I really just wanted to do my best to try to like add my name to those. And, you know, I'm excited to hear what people think about it. Don't you think, though, that even and I know that emo is is a bad label for some bands and stuff. But even when you talk about punk music, I remember being with the Sex Pistols and 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 Johnny telling me it wasn't punk. We were just kids. We were talking about our real life and people just called it <laughs> punk. And, and I, that really rewrote the, the def, definition of that, because all of a sudden I had a new feeling. So when you go deep into the into the world of punk, as well as emo, what are you you know finding newer things that you just didn't get on an album sleeve? Yeah, I mean, like so much of this book, like I said, was just trying to get stories that weren't out there before that yes. you couldn't get the liner notes or couldn't that you can't get from reading a Wikipedia. One thing that really struck me was uh, just how popular these bands were and how much cash was being thrown around. Like growing up in the era, like I knew, you know, like I would see the Helena, My Chemical Romance video on TRL and be like, oh, they're huge, obviously. One thing that really sticks out that I'm excited for readers to get a sense of is these bands got to talking about how much merch money that they were making on the Warp Tour, 2005 yes, in particular, because yes. Fall Boy, MCR, All American Rejects, Hawthorne Heights, so many big bands were on the tour that year. There was one day in Detroit, MCR made $60,000 in merch money. Yes. A normal day for them was probably like forty thousand, and even some smaller bands like Hawthorne Heights, Senses Fail, would make thirty thousand dollars in merch. They would tell me about like driving around or walking around in the middle of nowhere trying to find a <laughs> bank to make the deposit because Warp Tour wouldn't happen in big cities. Right. It would, it would, you know, it would be in parking lots somewhere. So they would need to find banks to deposit. $30,000 worth of cash or like $100,000 if they let it accumulate a few days. And look, people at the banks thought these bands were drug dealers and they were just like, no, we're in an emo band. <laughs> Man, you bring up such a big memory there when you talk about that warp Tour because, I mean, it was, it was like a village of its own. I, what I loved was outside the stages as well when you would have new bands out there trying to promote their CDs and, and you're right, merchandise. I mean, to me, that's where the real connection with, with fans you know, really began with, with the bands because there would be total unknowns but i got the merchandise yeah no i have a lot of fond memories of merchandise like a jimmy world shirt from bleed american tour that i still have you know that's a big one for me i mean yeah jimmy jimmy world is extra special for this song to that band for the book bleed american the album with the middle and sweetness on it that was the first album that i ever spent my own money on and uh you know shout out to fye at menlo park mall back in 2002 or whatever, but 
Yeah, talking to these bands for the book, um, I got to go through a lot of history with these guys. Were they pretty open? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, when, when it comes to sitting down with a creative mind, a songwriter or a bass guitarist or drummer, it takes about a minute or two for them to realize that that I'm not against them. We're about sharing your story. How long did it take you to get into that actual conversation rather than an interview? Yeah, you know, every person is different. Yeah. That's what's so exciting. More than anything, like, you know, as a music writer over the years, working at places like Billboard and writing for places like Vulture, Stereogum. I've done all sorts of stuff like reviews, essays and stuff, but really interviews is what I'm the most passionate about. I could just talk to people all day. And for this book, I kind of did because it was like, you know, it was my pandemic project, but also it was my work. Cause you know, like I said, I had just gotten laid off from a job and I was trying to find my next thing. And yeah, we, every person is different. And I, what I found really refreshing is that there was such a sense of kindness, like, you know, the, the mood in the pandemic. So many people were home. These people couldn't tour. There was really a sense of like, let's help each other out. Like, like I said, with Pete, like agreeing to do an interview with me right away. And like Mikey Way from My Chemical Romance chatted for me. And that felt so special because that band has done almost no press in recent years, like almost none. And you know, the bands were a lot more open than I thought. And, yeah. you know, after so many years at Billboard, <laughs> you know, a lot of great interviews at Billboard, but because it's such a big publication, sometimes probably they're just doing an interview because their publicist told them to <laughs> or a manager. But for this book, you know, it was just a book. You know, I did a lot of the big interviews for it before I even had a book deal. Yeah. So no one was telling these bands, you have to do this. It'll be a good look or whatever. They were just talking to me out of kindness. So, so many of these people like, you know, Spencer from Panic at the Disco or Chris oh. Caraba from Dashboard Confessional, yeah. you know, I just think I'm just so grateful for them for sharing their stories and going deep. So I, let, let's okay. You and I both love sharing the story of music, and and the, one of the things that a lot of people that are listening do not understand is that we weren't the band aid for those that lost their jobs immediately because of the lockdown. But man, did did you face their anger? Because I did, and all I wanted to do was just reach out and talk about it, talk about it, talk, keep 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 their name going, 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 going. What what did you face during the lockdown? Because there were some very hurt people. They didn't know what to do. Yeah, I mean. You know, I, I never want to like, uh, <laughs> like glamorize anything like getting laid off. But fortunately, I was in a decent spot because I had built up a lot of relationships with these artists. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the ones I've mentioned from the emo bands in my book, because, you know, I worked at Billboard from 2013 to 2020, you know, Fall Out Boy's comeback album, mm-hmm. Save Rock and Roll, came out in 2013 um paramore self-titled with like still into you and um ain't it fun that was 2013 i covered paramore interviewed them a bunch so i I knew all these stories i had so many connections with these artists and i mean in 2020 2021 when the bulk of the interviews for the book were done no one had anything to do you know so many people were just there to to hang and chat on Zoom. And it's it's funny because some of these other rock roll histories over the years, these great rock books, they were done with the journalists, probably a couple beers deep in a bar somewhere mm-hmm. chatting about punk rock. Mine was just done on Zoom, talking with people yeah. with like our cats jumping on top of us. But, uh, you know, 
I think I've gotten a lot of uh, experience with digging deep for interviews over my time at Billboard. And there's a lot of depth in this book that I'm excited about. There's a lot of stories about these band members, people like Wentz and people like Spencer from Panic at the Disco and people like Chris Caraba, Buddy Nielsen from Senses Fail going deep about what they've been through over the years and what their bands mean to them today. And I'm really excited about that. You know how Hollywood is. They love to go in and they want to talk and they want to do movies about the people that are behind the scenes. What actor is going to play you in that movie? God. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like, uh, hmm. Who, what, what would be a very flattering uh, response? I think, uh, Paul Mezcal, oh. I think, I think, yeah, I think that that'll, that'll be the first ask that I put to my agent. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of people don't understand, first of all, being at Billboard magazine, which is the Bible for radio and, and, and listeners, if they if they've not heard of Billboard magazine, need to go and find out some and, and read some real quality stuff because it, it, it tells the story of music. And Joel Whitburn was a huge part of my life when I was growing up in radio, because, I mean, I had to figure out how was I going to get the story? Go get the billboard. Go get a billboard, because you guys really were the first ones to really give it to us. Yeah, working at Billboard over the years, it was pretty crazy. I mean, it's nuts. Like, like I remember, uh, like one of like like interning there. One of the first things I got to do was like, like I interviewed John Taylor from Duran Duran, oh which is God. crazy. <laughs> like they had a new song, they had a new uh, a, a new song, new music video coming out that I ch- chatted with him with. I got to see like 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 I said, the first fall up like comeback album. Save Rock and Roll came out in 2013 when I had just started there. I was a new staffer, but I remember interviewing Pete for the first time and just getting to connect and chat about some stuff I've been wondering about for a long time and talk about their new music. It was it was a pretty crazy opportunity that I am very grateful for and that I don't take lightly, you know, even though they laid me off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. But there's no way this book could have happened without my seven years at Billboard. I did a couple oral histories when I was on staff at Billboard, one about Panic at the Disco's first album, Fever You Can't Sweat Out, one about the 2005 Warp Tour. And both of those topics, I think, are brought out very in-depth in the book. And, you know, none of that would have been possible without that time at Billboard. And, you know, just like sitting here in my my office now, like I have my one cover story that I wrote for Billboard. It was about the Monsters of Rock Tour with... Nice. um uh with the uh, Fall Out Boy, Green Day, and uh, Weezer, which was pretty special. So, yeah, getting to, uh, you know, we were talking a lot about interviews, and I feel like I never would have been able to, like, get so get so in love with the interview without being thrown in the deep end at Billboard early on. In your book, I know one of the first things that I did was, uh, you know, because you, because you feature so many different conversations and, and, and facts about the history, I, I bounced all over it. Do we have permission to do that? It doesn't have to go from page one to page two to page three. I, I, I was bouncing through it, loving every minute of it, like going through a, the, the, the bottom floor of a concert. I'm not going to stand here. I'm going to see if I can get closer to the stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the book goes really in-depth, and I tried to, like... Uh, I tried to see what like from the like the first chapter with basement shows in New Jersey, which was such a big thing because that was really like for a band starting out, that was where anyone could play. And yeah. some big bands like like Thursday and My Chemical Romance and uh, 
Midtown, whose singer Gabe Saporta went on to front Cobra Starship, who had some huge hits. Like all that started in basements in Jersey. And, you know, being able to bring out that part of my hometown, my home state was really exciting. Isn't it kind of weird how how people, they'll make fun of Jersey, but yet so much music has come from Jersey. It's like, stop it, man. Just quit making fun of Jersey. It, you know, just because <laughs> it's next to New York, just just lay low on it. It's time, right? You know, in the flap of the book uh, where I do like my little author bio, I mentioned that I'm based in Brooklyn now, but <laughs> I was born I was born in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where so much of this music came from. Like, you know, because Rutgers is there, there was a huge a huge punk scene of kids from Rutgers and beyond. And it says on the flap of the book, um, Chris Payne is a New Jersey, New Brunswick, New Jersey born Brooklyn based music journalist. And Jersey is in front of Brooklyn for the record, even though I live in Brooklyn now, and it's probably much cooler to say, I will shout out Jersey until, until, until my lungs give out because, you know, have no other choice. So MySpace was a big part of, of, of your journey. I mean, you're, you're telling me that, you know, 2002, my God, that's the, the, everybody was going to MySpace at that point in time. What did it affect you, inspire you, influence your efforts? Yeah. I mean, like so much of why I got deeply into music was because of MySpace. Nice. Like I remember in 2004, I was writing for a local New Jersey uh, newspaper called the Home News Tribune based out of Brunswick. They had a weekly teen section called teen scene and I pitched and wrote a trend piece, a feature on the rise of MySpace for it. And that was actually one of the first things that really got me psyched on journalism. And yeah, so much of this scene really brewed and percolated on the pages of MySpace. You know, Tom Anderson, shout out to MySpace Tom, uh, who'll always be better than Zuckerberg or any of those other people. <laughs> as he, he, he kept it real. And uh yeah, like MySpace drove this so much. And, you know, there were definitely uh, social media platforms like Friendster or whatever that came before MySpace. But in terms of like the lineage to where we are today with TikTok, Instagram and Twitter before that, it really does feel like it started with MySpace. It, feel, it feels like MySpace. Um, I don't know if you look at one of those pictures of like prehistoric life where it's showing like the first fish <laughs> coming out of the water and growing legs like that's my space you know <laughs> there's a there's a chapter in my book called new friend requests and it is a reference to my space and it really focuses on two bands in particular panic at the disco and gym class heroes wow. who got big because of the internet yep. so MySpace, a big, big topic in the book. Wow. Dude, you got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Sick. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun to chat and look back. Excellent, man. Will you be brilliant today, okay? Cool. Thank you so much. And yeah, just shout out to anyone who wants to pick up the book, where are your boys tonight in stores. Sales mean a lot for a first-time author like me. And if anyone wants to follow me online, my socials are at C-Pain on a Plane for Twitter and Instagram. And get you, you got you got a lot of merch, or is it just the book? I mean, if you're going to be hanging out no, with these uh, bands, <laughs> the uh, the hoodies, the track jackets, <laughs> the, uh, the the socks with the book title on them, those will be coming soon. But uh, for now, it's just the hardcover out on Day Street Books. Where are your boys tonight? I love it. I love it, man. You be great today, okay? You too. Thanks.